I have now been doing ministry for 20 years, 20 years long, and I know you might look at me and be like, with your youthful acne, how can you be that old? But it's true. I've been doing ministry for 20 years, and the biggest, the biggest sources of drama that I've seen in, in churches, and I've seen some doozies, and some of them have been directed at me, believe it or not. I know it's crazy to think about, but the biggest church fights I've seen break my heart. Because the biggest church fights I have seen are over a newsletter. Think about that for a minute. A newsletter over whether or not a, a dress code and how stringent the dress code should be applied and over worship styles. When, when I think back over, over the course of my last 20 years, I got cussed out in a meeting over a newsletter. And, and that's, just, that's just fascinating when you think about it, that here's all these people that love Jesus and are supposed to be on the same page. And, and what's, what's the source of division in that case was the fact that we ended a, a monthly newsletter that nobody was reading. And we know nobody was reading because nobody followed up. And it, you just look at sometimes what tears churches apart. And it, it should break your heart because it breaks the heart of God. And we've seen that God has done some really incredible things as we've journeyed through the book of Acts. And, and I thought about after we got to at the end of Acts 12, just, just taking a break from Acts and then coming back, because really that's the, tran that's really the transitory part where, where the focus has been more on Peter, and, and now the focus from 13 on becomes more on on Paul, and, and I thought about, hey, maybe we just take a look at the, the Peter portion, then we'll revisit the Paul sometime down the road, but I, I just kept coming back to, to today's message, and, and this is one I'm, I'm really excited about, because this has, this has implications for how we live our lives, and certainly every message should have implications for how we live our lives, but this matters in the day-to-day, the -day and not only how we operate, but how we treat other people, and how we look at other people, and the implications are massive and if we can wrap our minds and our hearts around this and if we can operate and if we can live this way God is just going to continue to bless Lakeside and we're going to continue to have more and more opportunities to reach more and more people with the hope of Jesus and I don't know about you but that's what excites me and I, I you know just last week when we had farewell to summer thank you for everybody who played a part in that thank you for all the volunteers thank you for everybody who came out and as, as a couple of our volunteers got to, got to pray with a few individuals and, and walk them through the process of inviting Christ into their life. I mean, those are the stories that just excite me and energize me, and that's what it's all about. And if we're going to continue to operate in the way that God wants us to operate, we want to continue to see those stories. We want to continue to meet people in the midst of where they are and just to remind them that you might be in a situation and you might be in a circumstance right now where your world is spiraling out of control. You might be in a circumstance right now of, of your own making. There's some really bad choices and, and some, some really bad decisions that you've made, but in the midst of this time where you can't even love yourself, God still loves you and he still has a plan for your life and your story is not over. We want to continue to have the opportunities to come alongside people who are in a great spot in life and who love and follow Jesus and we want to continue to, to walk with them and the journey that they are in as well. 
And so that's really what energizes us. That's what excites us. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to continue to do those things, we have to love people. And we have to love each other well. And one of the ways that we have to, we have to be reminded of a, a way to do that is to remember that customs are important to people. The reason that the biggest fights that, that I've encountered have been over newsletters and, and dress codes and worship styles are because customs matter to people. Now, sometimes they matter way more than they should, but they're still important to people. And we can bemoan that. We can point to all the flaws in that. But what we have to recognize is that's human nature. And in the midst of all the incredible things we've seen God do through the book of Acts, we arrive at Acts chapter 15 today. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once you install it on your device, there's a number of great features. The feature that we use every week together is called Events. And there you will either type in Lakeside Community Church or you can enable your locations. You can follow along with us right there from your device. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. And if you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below is in the midst of all the incredible things we've seen so far in the book of Acts, we now arrive at the point where there's tension. And, the, and don't get me wrong, we've seen tension around the church, but, but today we see tension inside the church. We see tension inside the church, and it's because of custom, and it's because of uncertainty, and we look at what happens to relationships as a result of it. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So let's go back. The Old Testament, there was a sign of, of the covenant between God and his people, and that sign was, was circumcision. And they now, the, these people who who followed Jesus, they go and they approach other people who love and follow Jesus. These are the Jews who've been circumcised. They go to the Gentiles who haven't been circumcised, and they tell them, hey, you're doing it wrong. And unless, unless you're circumcised, you're not really a follower of Jesus. And now we start to see legalism creep in. We start to see that if your life doesn't look like my life, literally in this case, if your body doesn't look like my body, then you are not a follower of Jesus. And they go and they share that message that because you don't look and because you don't act the way we think you should look and the way that we think you should act, you're not really a Christian. Your faith isn't real. And after Paul and Barnabas, verse 2 says, had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. I love how Luke writes this. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate. That's a really politically correct and a really nice way of saying they were ticked. 
And they let everybody know that they were ticked. And they got ugly mad. They got, like, me with Amazon customer service after they ripped us off for $900 on a second air hockey table that they sent us and it was broken. And now they're holding the church's money and they won't refund us because they lost it and their shipping department and it's sitting on a dock somewhere and you're going to hold $900 of the church's money mad? That's how mad they got. That's purely hypothetical. They were furious. They were furious. And they let them know that they were furious. But don't miss this. And you're, oh, wow, it's okay to be mad. Like you're excited about it. Don't miss this. That Paul and Barnabas are both leading this charge. And Paul and Barnabas are both circumcised. And yet they're able to see other people and they're able to see that God accepts other people. They're able to see the differences and they're able to recognize that the gospel is big enough for the differences. And here they are who are firmly in the category of those who come and they would levy the charge against those who haven't been circumcised and they, would, they say, no, 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 no. They're fine. They lead the charge here. So being sent on their way, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Do you notice this? The Pharisees, they rise up and they say, no, we hear what God's been doing, but we reject it. You can tell us what God has been doing, how God's been moving, how these people have been introduced to a relationship with Jesus. You can tell us that all day long, but we reject it. And the reason we reject it is because their lives don't look like we think their lives should look. Their lives don't have the certain markers that we look for. And so they, they can't. They can't follow Jesus unless they're willing to conform and make their life look like we think their life should look. And this is where legalism just kicks down the door. And all of a sudden, the focus isn't whether or not someone has a legitimate faith in Christ. But the focus becomes, well, this is how I think their life should look, and this is how they should operate. And because this is a conviction or because this is something that I do, everybody has to do it. And if they don't do it, then they don't love Jesus. And this is where pride creeps in, and all of a sudden, people can think, well, I'm the better Christian because I conform to this, and I'm the real follower of Jesus because I do this, but look at that person over there. And historically, this has taken on all kinds of different forms. Circumcision here, dietary laws, whether or not people will follow the Sabbath, tattoos, what people wear, whether or not people drink or not, you name it. The church has seen it. 
And it's nothing new. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And now Peter gets involved. And Peter says, God accepts them the way they are physically. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart. And this is something that we can't lose sight of, that we're going to worship next to people that have different convictions than us in some matters, that are going to look differently than we look, and going to choose to, to abstain from certain things that we don't choose to abstain from, do certain things that we choose not to do. And the cause of Christ is big enough that we can fellowship together and we can worship next to each other and we can love and accept each other while we have different convictions and we have different viewpoints. And what ultimately always matters to God is what's going on in the heart. It's always about the heart. And we can never lose sight of that. He says what saves them isn't a physical act. What saves them isn't how their body looks. What saves them ultimately is what saves us all. And that's the grace of God. The message of the hope of Jesus that God made the rules and God made the standards and God's standard is perfection. And you and I don't measure up. We all fall short. But God loved us enough to send Jesus to pay the price for our sins once and for all on the cross. And there's no way that we can earn that. Three days later, he rose again, proving that that sacrifice was victorious, proving that God accepted that sacrifice on our behalf. And what saves us isn't the things that we abstain from. It isn't the, the things that we do or we don't do. What saves us is the act of Jesus on our behalf, that when we place our faith and trust in him, we can't buy that. We can't earn that. We certainly don't deserve it, but it's a gift. It's a sign of grace. And all the assembly, verse 12 says, fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God is the God of all is what he says, and redemption is available to all. And it's through grace 
It's not through anything that we could do. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so there's this, there's this dispute. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? And they said, we need to figure this out. And we need to make sure that our messaging is on point and our messaging is salvation is found through Jesus and through what he has done. And you cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. There aren't certain things you have to do to obtain it other than place your faith in Christ and receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to us. And so they summarize it. And notice what they say. We should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. The heart behind the, the, heart behind the apostles here is let's not make this more difficult than it needs to be. We're not going to make following Jesus more difficult than it needs to be. Now let's just have a pause here. Because the other side of this, the one side of this is legalism, where everybody's life has to look like I think their life has to look, and everybody has to meet these certain set of standards, and you know, you, you've got you've to make sure that you operate as a good Christian. You know, Christians don't, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew or go with girls that do. You know, that, that, that old mindset, right? And most of you are out right there. You're out, all right? But, but that mindset's over here. And then there's this other mindset that's way over to the other side. And that's, well, I can just, I can receive Christ. It's a gift of grace. And then I can have my life look like hell. And I can just do whatever I want and there aren't any consequences because I'm saved. And I, it's all good. Jesus has saved me. And so the apostles come together. And they say, we want to we reject this legalism. But we also want to encourage people for how they should conduct themselves as people that love and follow Jesus. And so don't mistake this, this rejection of legalism for a license to just go out and, and you proclaim Jesus with your mouth, but your life looks like hell. And so here's what they come up with. That you should abstain from following false gods. That you should honor God with your sexuality. And you should honor others with the choices you make in their presence. Now, Gentiles didn't have to keep the Jewish dietary laws. But here they said, when you're in the presence, Gentiles, of the Jews, honor those laws. Why? For the sake of unity. Don't use your freedom as a license to offend. And so we see here in this Every aspect that we honor God by refusing to worship anything else. That our conduct to, our, to ourselves and to others is responsible 
by honoring God with our sexuality. That we honor each other. In the way that we treat each other. And we recognize there are times I'm going to abstain from some things that I don't have to abstain from because I love and care about you. And because you operate one way, I will operate that way. Because I value you. Because I love you. It's putting others before ourselves. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So the response of the church is to send people and send a message to those who were previously offended by, by people who were troubled by a message that the church didn't authorize. Now, it would have been easier for the church just to say, ah, forget about that. God will take care of it. He'll handle it. God's sovereign. He's got this. But they went the extra step. He said, you've heard a message that isn't accurate. And it certainly wasn't authorized by God. And we want to make it right. And we want to couple the message that you've heard, and we want to, we want to couple that with this message of truth. They didn't run because messaging got hard. They didn't leave because people had been offended by a wrong message. They continued to pursue them. They continued to approach them. Because they recognized that people matter. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many Others also. 
Now, the church of the Gentiles, they hear this letter that the Jewish church sent down. It's all one church, but the the Gentiles here, they hear the, the letter that the Jews send down, and they rejoice when they hear the letter. And here's something that we really have to wrestle with. Would we have rejoiced if we heard that letter? Would we have even accepted it? Would we have been in a position to receive it? Are you willing to give people that you disagree with? Are you willing to give people that that maybe have lashed out and said things that, that aren't true? Are you willing to give them a second chance? Because in our age of echo chambers, frequently the temptation is to just cut them off. Dismiss it. Say, oh, you and I, we disagree. So you're dead to me. We don't always say that to the other person, but our actions do. And we can learn so much from this. That we can't put a standard on people that is greater than the standard that God puts on people. We can't expect everyone to have the same convictions and operate their lives in the same way that we have convictions in the way that we operate our lives. That we can't use our faith in Jesus as a license for our lives to look like hell while we claim our destination's heaven. That when we have been wrong, we go and admit it. And when we've been wronged, don't just cut that person off. But we allow for reconciliation and restoration to occur. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him. And sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And this is where if I'm God, and I'm writing the Bible through Luke, I'm like, hey Luke, let's just pull out the eraser. Just hit delete. We're just going to gloss over that part. Why? I'm fascinated how Acts 15 ends. We've seen the Jerusalem Council. We've seen tension between legalism and, and people that Their lives don't look the way that certain Jewish believers thought their lives should look. 
we've seen Jewish believers lead the charge to make sure the Gentiles are accepted, disagreeing with their own people on account of acceptance of others. We've seen reconciliation and restoration. This is beautiful. This is the gospel. This is what it's all about. Once again, seeing the message of grace and Christ proclaimed. And then we get to the end of Acts chapter 15. And we see an argument. We see an argument between Paul and Barnabas over a young disciple named John Mark. Barnabas believes in John Mark. Paul doesn't. Paul says, you want to bring that guy? That guy who abandoned us? That guy who was weak? When tensions were high, he disappeared? Yeah, let's bring him along. He's who I want on my team. get to the end of Acts chapter 15 and what we see in this chapter of unity and forgiveness. We arrive at disunity and debate. And like I said, if I'm God, I'm just deleting this part. But I'm not. And this is yet another example to us all. That God uses different people. God uses people with different perspectives. That Barnabas and Paul are radically different. And they look at circumstances and they look at situations radically different. But they each love and follow Jesus. And are each committed to his work, even though they're radically different in what that looks like. That God uses people who are flawed people. People that have abandoned the cause at some point in their life. People that have given up on people too quickly at some point in their life. God uses flawed people. And God's people can have different feelings about other people and different perspectives on issues. And God's big enough to handle that. And it doesn't have to tear everything apart. And yet what we see here is there is a sharp disagreement to the point that it does tear things apart. Between Paul and Barnabas. And it's all over. John Mark. We have to make sure that we reject legalism. And the problem with that is a lot of legalism starts being rooted in a really good spot. 
deep down, the birth of legalism is concern for other people. And if you felt the the other side of it, it certainly doesn't feel that way. But ultimately, the birth of legalism is looking and saying, I want somebody else to, to really love and follow God, and I think their life is out of balance in this way. It's a, a, a thought of concern. That's where it starts. The ugly side of legalism is where it grows from there. Trying to put upon people a standard that God never put on people. And so at Lakeside, we always have to remember, it's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. And different people that love and follow Jesus are going to have different perspectives on some things. They're going to have different convictions on some things. But what ultimately matters, what ultimately matters is that people would give their lives to to follow him. And that we shouldn't hold people to a higher standard than, than what God says to hold people to. And I think the answer to that is found for us right here. That our primary concern about people is whether or not they've accepted Christ as their Savior. And once they have, once they have, then we... We come alongside of them, and we love them, and we help them understand the life that God has called you to as somebody that loves and follows after him is to worship God first and foremost. To honor God with your choices. Yes, even your sexuality. And to live in such a way that you don't offend other people who also love and follow Jesus, but have different convictions and different perspectives than you do. And if we will operate this way, I am firmly convinced God will continue to bless what's going on in this place. And He'll continue to work through us And we will see God do incredible things for His glory. And the danger for us is the danger for the early church. And it's found in the same chapter. That different perspectives can tear something apart. We've got to be on guard to make sure that we never allow that to occur. God, we pray that you would continue to use this place for your glory. I pray, God, that we, as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus, that we continue to proclaim the hope of salvation, the fact that we can be set free from our sins, that we serve a God who loves us and has redeemed us, and he came to set us free. I pray, God, that we will always remember that what matters is the heart. God, that we would reject legalism, 
that we would reject a license to make our lives look like hell even though we claim our destination's heaven. God, we would passionately pursue you. God, as we do, that we would honor you first and foremost. We would worship you alone. That we would honor the choices that we make in every aspect of our lives, including our sexuality. That we would honor each other. Recognizing that different people have different perspectives and different convictions, but that those disagreements would never divide. And that we would be reminded constantly that what unites us in our like faith in you is greater than anything that can tear us apart. Thank you, God, for the way that you're working in this place. Thank you for the lives that are being transformed. Thank you for what you're doing, and we ask you to continue to work here for your glory. Thank you, God, for the generosity of your people who make everything that we do possible. And I pray, God, that as they give back a portion to you of what you've entrusted to them, that you would continue to bless them. It's all for your glory, Jesus, and it's in your name that we do pray. Amen.